Welcome to Cybersecurity Unlocked, a podcast dedicated to interviewing some of the industry's brightest minds. We will feature discussions from a wide range of subject matter experts about their careers, industry trends, and what the future holds. Hi, welcome to Cybersecurity Unlocked, a cybersecurity podcast. I'm your host, Avian Jones. Uh, today, my guest is Dr. Madan Aboroy, who is a three-star general with the Indian Police, where he has served for 27 years. Dr. Aboroy has also worked as the Director General for the Cybercrime Coordination Center in India and also acted as an advisor to the Ministry of Home Affairs for India. He has also worked as Director for Cybercrime with Interpol, with two separate deployments with the UN, firstly in Bosnia and Herzegovina, secondly in Kosovo. He is also a Fulbright Scholar in Cybersecurity with a PhD in e-commerce and cybercrime. I'll talk to him today about his career, where he got to where, how he got to where he is today, and the cybersecurity landscape and how it's evolved and changed, and in particular over the last three to four months. Hi, Madan. That is probably going to be the longest uh, intro <laughs> I'm going to have to <laughs> memorize. It's definitely going to take some beating. Um, uh, how are you, first of all? Uh, thanks, Ifian. I'm very fine. Uh, doing well. Yeah. How has the uh, how has the lockdown sort of treated you over the last sort of three or four months? How has it been for you? So we have been working from home. Sometimes it gets slightly uh, hectic because there's no office which we can leave now. Yeah. So it, the work continues and it's a longer day. So lot of activity, lot of work which is happening. Okay. Okay. Good. Has it been sort of busier during this period or? Yes, yeah, yeah, busy. <laughs> so, because a lot of people have been sort of using this sort of time to to maybe sort of up upskill and you know learn you know new skills or new certifications or I mean, you, I mean what a career you've had. I mean, you could maybe even start you know writing some of your uh, <laughs> some of your memoirs and maybe start writing the uh, autobiography. Have you been actually doing anything sort of productive in that time, or has it just all been work, work, work? So if if you are asking how I've been, I, I've been upscaling my professional skills, mm -hmm. uh, the answer would be no, because nothing much. Yeah. But yes, I've been trying to uh, brush up my cooking. Oh, okay. With captive subjects at home. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying my experiments on <laughs> with cooking. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. So what's your sort of signature? What's your specialty? Uh, Indian cuisine. Okay. Okay. Awesome. I'm sure... Um, your wife was very happy about that. Yeah, yeah. She <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes she doesn't have a choice. <laughs> You're going to be putting me to shame now. Um, so, first of all, if we could just sort of, I guess, sort of roll back the the the, the, the years and the clock. What was it f that first, uh, you know, attracted you to law enforcement? Uh, it's slightly difficult in the, to give a very clear answer here mm -hmm. because uh, in India what we have, a, we have a system of uh, separate uh, civil services for senior management which mm -hmm. are called the Indian Administrative Service, Indian Police Service, Indian Foreign Service and so on. Mm -hmm. So they have a common exam mm -hmm. and then we have to indicate our preferences. Okay. So I, when I gave the exam, so my first preference was a foreign service and second one was police service. Right. So I, I got allocated to police services and I developed my liking for law enforcement duties or policing services mm -hmm. after joining policing. So, uh, right. okay. <laughs> so it's the other way around. 
Ah, right. Okay. So you sort of slowly fell in love with it. Yeah. <laughs> and what was, what's been the sort of the career highlight for you so far? Uh, so th this uh, Indian Police Services has given me an opportunity to work in very wide areas mm -hmm. uh, in terms of specializations. Mm -hmm. For example, I've worked with uh, uh, Delhi Police as Assistant Commissioner of Police of uh, we call it one of the sensitive uh, subdivisions, uh, Darya Ganj subdivision. Then I have worked as additional deputy commissioners in various districts. I have worked as deputy commissioner of police of the central district of Delhi. I have worked as deputy commissioner of police in charge of prime minister's security in Delhi. Wow. I have worked as deputy commissioner of police in charge of the uh, uh, international airport in Delhi. Mm. And also as uh, uh, in uh, in the northeastern corner of India, Arunachal Pradesh, I worked as uh, uh, superintendent of police of two districts there. Mm -hmm. Then I've uh, gone to CBI, the Federal Investigation Agency in India, mm -hmm. where I have worked as heading head, headed the uh, cybercrime cell, the economic offenses unit. Mm -hmm. Then I have headed uh, the anti-corruption unit of uh, CBI for uh, roughly three and a half years. Okay. Then I have also worked as uh, International Police Cooperation Unit of uh, uh, CBI. Yeah. And I have then come back to Delhi Police, worked in as head of special cell of Delhi Police, mm -hmm. which is the one of the finest units I have uh, in my career yeah. deals with counter-terror, mm -hmm. uh, organized crime and cyber crime. Wow. So I so. think Special Cell has been one of the, my most favorite postings. Wow. In between, I've also worked as director cyber crime with Interpol. Yeah. So I think this service provided me an opportunity to work in different areas geographically yeah. as well as uh, in different areas of professional work. Yeah, I, I forgot to mention about two UN missions. Yes, Bosnia I'm really interested in that. Yeah. So in Bosnia, I worked in a small uh, station first as uh, for the first one month in a place called Rogatica in Sarajevo region. Okay. But immediately after one month, I was selected uh, to head the management information unit in uh, for the mission headquarters there. So I worked right. there. Okay establishing a network that it was in 1998 of Lotus Notes there. <laughs> right, okay, wow. So, then uh, in Bosnia, I went to establish the data center. Uh, yes, in Kosovo, I went to establish the data center for UN mission. Right, okay. Wow, I'm sure you've got some fascinating stories. Um, and what was your sort of first uh, sort of cyber crime uh, case and, and and when was that because i'd be really interested to sort of see yeah so, how far back that was that's that's a very interesting case i would say it was i think in the year 1997 mm -hmm. So one of the police stations in, uh, in it was in Delhi Police uh, in my district they they got a complaint from one of the victims saying that uh, if you recall in I don't know if you were uh, <laughs> uh, you must have been in uh, uh, <laughs> memories of those those times it might have been too early in your childhood but uh, I was still in school actually <laughs> <laughs> so so in 1997 at least in India to access internet. Right. We used to have the scratch cards. Yeah. 
so there would be a code on the card which mm. and there would be a coating on that which had to be scratched and then uh, when you enter that code you could access internet uh, internet for a few hours and that's how it we used to uh, uh, connect to internet okay so the complainant said that his somebody has used his internet hours now the question was that india had not by that time in 97 passed the indian information technology act mm. so we had to book this case in in a normal sections of theft right and we really had a tough time to convince the judge that's time of somebody has been stolen yeah and his question was that how can anybody steal somebody's time yeah Uh, so, uh, wow. Okay. So that was a very interesting case. Finally, we got a conviction there, but that's uh, it. Did. <laughs> and did that sort of set the path then for uh, a new sort of regulation and and act? Yeah. yeah. So so that 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 the Indian Information Technology Act was passed in two thousand. Right. Okay. So by that time, it was still in the draft stages when this case happened. So a lot of discussions were happening there. Right. So that would have been one of many cases that were sort of collected over that period that then obviously pushes towards this yeah. uh, collective, yeah, sort of act that um, prevents so that, that from happening that again. Was because there would have been many cases across India. Yeah. And then a lot of things were learned from experience of other countries. Yeah, how they have tackled the cyber crime. So those were important issues which went into the right. framing of Information Technology Act of India. Wow. Okay. So that was twenty years ago now with that, that act. So I mean, it would be a very, I guess, sort of broad question to say how has sort of cyber security sort of evolved over that time. But yeah, I mean, what's been your Uh, I guess one of the interesting acts that may have been passed, or, or in particular, what, what, where do you think it's really sort of shifted, sort of in in that time? So, when we first, uh, when this act was first passed in two thousand, mm-hmm. I would say that it was slightly more technology specific. Yeah, it was amended in two thousand eight when it became more technology neutral kind of an act. Right, and. But if we talk about the cybercrime threat landscape, mm-hmm. I think over the years it has, from the sim- simplistic crimes of scratch cards, it has evolved into a much dangerous place with many new actors, mm-hmm. uh, criminal actors there, with more sophisticated uh, methodologies and modus operandi. Yeah. So it is uh, the crime scene has evolved in a big way, and so has the responses of law enforcement agencies. Yeah. Yeah, they've had to continue to sort of raise their game and, and get better yeah, and better. Exactly. Yeah. So, which uh, industry, in your opinion, is the most vulnerable to cyber attacks? So, I I, I would say uh, looking at two aspects of this question: the mm-hmm. cyber crime and the other cyber security or cyber attacks. So, when we talk about cyber crimes, I would say the thieves normally target the areas where there's more money. So one of the first ta- and the most vulnerable target is the financial sector because yeah. that's where the money is. Yeah, of course. But when we enlarge the scope to uh, uh, the cyber attacks per se, then there are m- many other actors with different motivations which come into picture. So the where the, their motivation may be the maybe espionage or attack on critical infrastructure, and that's where. the scenario changes yeah and 
also over a period of time although financial sector has been a primary target for example during covid attack health sector became very important yeah. so there have been many attacks on the critical health sector mm. so those kind of because that's where ransomware attacks on those uh, they can yield more money also so the situation keeps on evolving but i would say financial sector has been one of the consistently uh, most attractive target for okay. criminals and, and what can they do to be i guess sort of better prepared and, and other organizations as well i mean other different industries have varying sort of levels of cyber security maturity but what can, what can be done sort of overall to, to make sure that they're better prepared so i i would like to address this question in a slightly different way mm-hmm. than uh, uh, industry specific response or uh, uh, organization specific response because when we target this uh, cyber security from the organizational perspective or the individual perspective which is the case these days it leads to some very significant gaps because what do we do for organizations cyber security we'll build socks mm-hmm. we'll build cyber threat intelligence also in some cases some other tools to firewalls ips etc so many things will be built mm-hmm. but if i compare this with what we do in the physical world if i have to secure my house I don't keep on building additional defenses by building higher fences, bringing bigger locks, uh, putting CCTVs. We are relying on inbuilt societal deterrence. So that part is missing in cyber. Uh-huh. And the dif- that difference is very stark because if we look at what is what creates deterrence, mm-hmm. the deterrence is created through bringing consequences on criminals for their actions right which is in terms of successful prosecutions mm-hmm. so if we look at uh, i had done a small uh, study uh, some time back it is around 3 4 years back where i had compared what is the uh, conviction rate uh, in terms of how many people actually go to jail for committing cyber crime and i had taken some countries uh, uh, for data and my experience was that it was very low in the sense that it was in single digits really so if it is let's say some countries it was 1 to 2% mm. in other countries it was around 10ish kind of a thing but if let's take an average of 8 to 9% or which actually also means that a cyber criminal works with the confidence of 90 to 92% that nothing is going to happen to him there's no consequences there are no consequences and right. the money is huge yeah so and what we are doing in terms of organizational response we are building defenses mm. but there's no cost to attempts right i may f- as a criminal i may fail in the first attempt but there's no cost so i'll do another attempt a third right. attempt a fourth okay. attempt i'll succeed sometime yeah so uh, sometime i'll find uh, vulnerability which i'll exploit mm. so i think besides these all things are important building our defenses but we also have to create a overall deterrence in the system through yeah. successful prosecutions which sometimes get neg- gets neglected and that right. needs to be addressed 
So why, why do you think that is then? Why is the, the success rate on conviction so, so low? Uh, because we are still working with systems which are not tuned to the nature of cybercrime. Yeah. For example, within cybercrime, there's an inherent problem of difficulties in attribution. Right. to identify the person behind the machine who was actually. This is compounded by the multi-jurisdictional nature of cybercrime by definition, with different legal systems, with the uh, issues in exchange of information, exchange of evidence, bringing, arresting people, launching prosecution against them. As a result, for many low-level cases, uh, low-cost low cases in many countries, they don't even start the investigations. They, they are very hesitant because the law enforcement personnel thinks that it is not going to succeed in terms of... Right. So, and that's all contributing to low uh, percentage of conviction. So I think this also needs to be addressed because yeah. otherwise we will be individually building defenses. Yeah. But that may not have a very significant impact on our security. Right. So it's almost like the, the resources that we have today and the budgets that we have today are not enough to, to deal with and cope with the, the sort of cyber criminals that are out there. And we need to Bes besides, budgets. besides budget and resources, I yeah. would say there has to be uh, work on uh, multi-jurisdictional co collaboration, multi-stakeholder yeah. collaboration. Because uh, I'll give you uh, examples where so many cases have happened and the victim organizations have not reported to the law enforcement agencies. Really? So why they, that happens is sometimes maybe because they don't have confidence in the capability of law enforcement to give any results. Right. Or because, and that may be because of capacity, uh, capability uh, shortage or also maybe shortage in terms of legal frameworks, international collaboration. But the net result is that if I, as a victim, I think that if I complain to police, they are not going to be able to catch the criminal and they are not going to be able to uh, bring my money back. So what's the use of reporting? So many countries, in fact, have made it mandatory for organizations to report. Right. Okay. So th that and that confidence level also has to be built in the society that yeah. there will be action. So we need to work on a yeah. number of fronts to achieve this overall cybersecurity. Yeah. And I would say cybersecurity is not only in terms of systems, mm -hmm. but also in our minds. I should feel very confident that if I'm putting one of my most sensitive data, which on which my life uh, hinges. I have no uh, worries when I place it on in cyberspace. Yeah. So that kind of security, if it is not there, then we cannot say that it is our cyberspace is secure. Yeah. Because many times we don't put our sensitive data today in the cyberspace because there's a inherent doubt there yeah. whether we can uh, we will be able to protect it or not. So. In your, in your opinion, what, what is the best model for uh, cybersecurity sort of function? You know, for instance, SOC, cyber assurance. And if you want to use, I guess, the financial services as an example, because we've, we've touched on that already. So I would say that SOC, cyber assurance, that is definitely the security apparatus in terms of defensive, this thing. But also this has to be coupled with more uh, work in terms of threat intelligence mm -hmm. being prepared for 
what kind of attacks may be coming. Collaborating with other actors in this area, maybe other, uh, for example, other financial sector companies, other government agencies, other international bodies, so that we are better prepared in terms of our own defenses mm -hmm. as well as uh, in terms of follow-up action. If if there's a breach, then how do we yeah. tackle that? So that, that way, uh, multi-stakeholder collaboration, so we should become active participant of that. Mm -hmm and also build our own intelligence, which we then have to share with others to get more inputs from them also. Right, okay. So it's important to have, and who, who, whose um, role does that sort of lie with, which in your opinion, is it the Chief Information Security Officer, or is it the heads of department, the heads of Threat Intel, the heads of SOC? So I, I, I would say CISO would be the right nodal point for mm -hmm. this kind of activities. Yeah. There will be definitely uh, specialized uh, uh, nodes for different sectors. Mm -hmm. But as a nodal officer, I would say uh, Chief Information Security Officer is the natural choice. Right. Okay. To coordinate this across the organization. Right. And that, again, just sort of comes down to sort of good leadership. Somebody can take sort of ownership and, and if they pass it down, passing it down to the right individual. Yeah. But, but at the same time, there has to be uh, commitment and uh, uh, I would say confidence level of the top management. CISO alone would not be able to handle if he doesn't have the support of the board. Yeah. So that also has to be there. Sure. And okay. there has to be an understanding and uh, at that level about what are the issues and what how they need to be prepared, how they need to allocate resources for this activity, yeah. which can be critical. Okay. And I guess that comes down to good sort of stakeholder management skills. So CISO that can influence board members. Exactly. This is what we need to be spending on CIDA. This is what needs to be spending on the SOC. This is how that we can be better prepared. Yeah. Here's an example of what can, can go wrong. Yeah. Okay. And have you noticed any kind of sort of new trends within sort of cybercrime or any new sort of threat actors that, you know, people need to be sort of made aware of? So if we, if, if we mean new in last one year, mm -hmm. I would say it is more of same things. Like we still have, uh, I would say ransomware still continues to be in terms of number one attack. But we still have the business email compromise cases. We still have phishing attacks, skimming, etc. Payment industry is getting impacted. Critical infrastructure is getting impacted. Emphasis keeps on changing. Yeah. For example, health sector may be a target now. Uh, and this may be important in terms of COVID also, for example, today we are uh, we have our fears, we have our worries as uh, uh, if uh, relating, relating to our health. Mm -hmm. So maybe the modus operandi to target me through maybe malicious websites which promise, uh, let's say, uh, personal protection equipment, which promise antiviral pharmaceuticals and all those kind of things. Yeah. So luring me into clicking to those websites, which for example, are giving more information about COVID-19. Yeah. So those modus operandi may change over the system, sure. but broadly the, I would say the trends are the same, which were there last year also. Right. Okay. And just, just, I mean, you've touched on it a little bit already, but how have our adversaries sort of used COVID to enhance their ability to attack 
I would say that uh, they have got uh, much better opportunities during COVID-19 to launch their attacks. For example, the surface for attack has increased in terms of most of us are working from home. Uh, the number of devices have increased, the number of networks have increased. Some of these devices and some of these home networks are not as secure as office networks. So th that provides more opportunities for uh, bad actors to launch their attacks. Similarly, they also can feed on the uh, our worries and our fears in terms of uh, health-related issues. So maybe the modus operandi, as I was mentioning, using uh, a site which is giving information about COVID or advertising antiviral pharmaceuticals or personal protection equipment. They can be used to attract un unknowing uh, uh, victims to the uh, malicious sites and then yeah. attacking them. So the the situation offers them a lot of opportunities for this kind of work. Right. Okay. And what does the what does the future look like for, for cybersecurity? Where where do you see it going? I I am very hopeful for a much better future than what we have today. And I say this with uh, two three things in mind. One, there's a growing realization about the seriousness of the situation so if you compare it uh, to few years back today ceos are more worried about cyber security mm. they're very conscious they're willing and uh, much more forthcoming to allocate more resources to this important this right. so the defenses are improving as far as uh, law enforcement action i'm seeing a lot of capabilities getting built up in these um, in many countries which earlier did not have capabilities to counter this i see growing uh, willingness to cooperate and collaborate between jurisdictions and between stakeholders so all of this is pointing to a more uh, sec more secure environment i don't specifically comment on technology because that's a dynamic thing there will be new technologies which will have more vulnerabilities, but at the same time, there will be counter technologies to protect them. So that's a continuous battle which will keep on going. So that is not a very big factor, but all these other factors are probably pointing to a more secure cyber security future. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming down today, Mada. It's great to see you. Once thank again. you. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you everybody for listening. Cybersecurity Unlocked is also available on YouTube. Please like and subscribe to get the latest updates.